You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 53, The Election of 1944, FDR, the peaceful president, becomes the wartime president and wins another election. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben, we are flying past December 7th, 1941, and all of us know that that was the day that the Japanese invaded Pearl Harbor. And we are not talking anything about World War II, but we have to say that, yes, we do realize World War II, the United States became involved, and it's time for another election in 1944. Right, yeah. I mean, we could spend, obviously, many hours on all of those things you just mentioned but instead, we'll spend about half an hour probably on uh, the election of 1944 because that's what this show's about. But yeah, uh, FDR is the president. He's still hanging in there. He is, um, you know, reacting to the war, acting in the war, checking out what's going on, <laughs> making sure that everything's going well. Yeah, and it is going well. Uh, the United States and the Allies are they're doing their thing. They're having a lot of victories on both the European front as well as the Pacific front. And he's pretty popular still. Yeah. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, even in the midst of this giant war, life must go on, right? So 1944 rolls around and it's time for another election. And guess what? It's still not wrong or illegal or um, not allowed or whatever you want to call it for a president to continue just to keep on running. Yeah. And then I wonder what it would be like for a nation to be in the middle of war. I mean, this is a pretty crucial year, 1944. I mean, the war really is, it's looking Raging. good for the allies, but right. that would be crazy to have a transfer of power. I'm sure, yes, we as Americans, we can do it, but that would that would be a big deal to have a, a an administration change like that. Sure, absolutely. And I mean, we've done we've done that since we've had administration changes during wars. We've had um, we've had elections during wars, but we've never had a war as big with as many countries involved in it, obviously, as World War II happened and have a presidency change. Yeah. So people like stability. I mean, that's just in our nature, right? Right. They do like stability. Uh, the country is very unified because if you remember back in 1941, 
there was a lot of division between those who were like, hey, let's stay out, stay out of the war. Let's do our thing. Let's get our country on the road to economic recovery. It was looking like it was happening. The New Deal was being implemented. Really, the issue was how much of the New Deal should hang around and how much should be thrown out. But when you're in the midst of a big war like this, big government isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. So we've got um we've got our buddy FDR who's this he's in his third term. His third term's coming to a close. He is um considering or or going to run for a fourth term. And let's just face it, uh Roosevelt's just not looking as good as he has in the past. He's declining physically. He's um there's a lot of rumors about health problems he's having. Uh, it's getting a little more well known now that he has at least some debilitating uh, condition that keeps him in a wheelchair most of the time. So it, people kind of are are under the impression things might not be going his way for a while, and the idea of a vice president becomes more important than ever. Right, and keep in mind too that at the time, the South. Very influential people in the South are very much for segregation. And there was some division among Southern Democrats as to Roosevelt's policies because Roosevelt was a little more inclusive than some of the Southerners. You like that politically right? I feel so politically correct, but not right saying this. But Roosevelt was more inclusive than uh, his counterparts uh, or those who were on the Democratic side in the South at the time. Right. So Henry Wallace, if you remember the last election, he is voted in as the vice president and starts taking office in 1941. Maybe we should talk about Henry Wallace for a minute because he kind of is a, a bigger player for the next, oh, few years at least. Yeah. So Wallace really was considered a liberal reformer. Uh, he was very much a new dealer. He was considered to be a good friend to Roosevelt. The established, should we say the democratic establishment, they distrusted him um, because they saw him as a, a sort of a mystic. <laughs> and you can read a lot about some of his religious views and the the journey that he had. He had that approach of a, um, uh, a utopian. He was very much, um, uh, I guess you could say he was a bleeding heart. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, <laughs> he didn't, uh, he didn't I really feel, hold. Ben, I feel like I'm Mr. Politically. I, it's not even like 2016 politically correct. I am I am doe-eyed, bleeding heart, uh, politically <laughs> correct, Jason, and so far in this episode. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to you. <laughs> He's not just unpopular or getting to be unpopular now. Um, if you remember in the 1940 election, uh, not even the election, in the convention for the DNC, he 
was not going to win. And it was only after Eleanor Roosevelt came up and gave a big speech that some of them agreed to it. And it happened to be enough for him to win the nomination. So not only did they start out not loving him, uh, like Jason said, he is very, well, reconciliatory, I guess uh, we'll say again. He's just um, all about everybody being included. A lot of people don't like that, obviously, that a lot of people still don't like that. Uh, He was very much an idealist. He loved the New Deal and everything that came with it and wanted to see it be proliferated further and continue to grow. And the programs involved continue to grow and very much for growing the government in a way that helped everybody possible. Right. He was very supportive of doing away with this colonialism that... Um, at the time was still seen as being appropriate. He was very pro-labor. He wanted to see unions um, thrive. He was a liberal's liberal, and he really struck the ire of anybody under a conservative label. Even Winston Churchill, uh, as you can imagine, who was very much committed to uh, preserving the British colonial empire that didn't sit too well <laughs> with, with uh, uh, these conservative leaders who were out there. Yeah. So Wallace, he had a little bit of a run in with Jesse Jones, who was the secretary of commerce. They had a big feud publicly and there were other officials involved. So Roosevelt's like, well, okay, so your responsibilities as far as anything regarded to war no, no more. And also, there's this Gallup poll that's taken. And we know we talked last episode or maybe the last couple episodes about the Gallup poll. And there's a Gallup poll just before the 1944 DNC that says 65% of people favor renomination for Wallace and 2% favor somebody else we'll talk about in a minute. But Wallace just doesn't really drive well with most people. Yeah. So what ends up happening is another compromise of sorts because Roosevelt needs a more conservative running mate. And that running mate would be our friend Harry S. Truman from Kansas. And so, sorry, Wallace, it's not politically correct. Your brand of liberalism is not welcome at the Democratic National Convention and Harry S. Truman, Senator, the moderate from Missouri, becomes the man. Hey, so I'm doing a little bit of foreshadowing here, and uh, that's okay because it's history, so you could do that. Sure. But would it be interesting if not only did I mean, it's one thing they call it a lame duck presidency. Like if you if you're president, you get voted out, but you're still in office for uh, three or four months, two three months. Imagine being the guy who didn't get necessarily voted out by the American public, but your own party is like, yeah, you're not, you're not good enough to keep going. So, um, like a, almost a year before the election, we're going to just go ahead and say, <laughs> nah, not even, not a year before the election, a year before the new term. Nah, you're, you're just not gonna, you're not going to be part of it anymore. You're out of our club. Yeah, that would be, that would be pretty hard. And to think that let's just, let's just talk about common knowledge for a moment. Did you know who Henry Wallace was before we started talking about him for this episode? 
Nope. Yeah. Have you heard of Harry S. Truman? Yep. Kind of crazy. You ready to talk about the Republicans? Yes, of course. The Republicans (laughs) consist of a bunch of different people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You've got our friend, the governor of New York, Thomas Dewey. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the uh, Wendell Wilkie. He was the candidate in 1940. We talked about him a good bit last episode or, yeah, last episode. And he's kind of a front runner because, I mean, yeah, he was the candidate last time. Right. And you even have General Douglas MacArthur, who is in the Pacific, (laughs) serving as the Allied commander. And he's out fighting a war. And people are like, hey, we want MacArthur to run. At this point, if you're a Republican, you want anyone to run (laughs) with some notoriety. So. What do you do? You throw out the big names and who wants to run against FDR? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, You've also got, um, by the way, you've also got Robert Taft of Ohio. He's a senator. We've talked about him in the past, I think. Uh, He (laughs) is liked by a lot of people. And then he's like, by the way, everybody, I'm not I'm not a candidate. Um, You should vote. You should (laughs) you should instead vote for Governor Bricker. Uh, He's a nice guy. Yeah, and then everybody's like, "Oh, okay, well, Governor Governor Bricker, we don't, eh, nah, General MacArthur, we like him instead." <laughs> thanks for your recommendation, but no thanks. Yeah, so Dewey, who is a moderate, mm, kind of skewed to liberal Republican, he's like, "Yeah, Bricker, he's a great guy. He's going to be my running mate. He's conservative. That's going to look really good." And the party's unified. And Dewey's our man with Bricker at his side. Did you just say the Republican Party was unified? Yeah. It's 1944, Ben. Oh, yeah. Okay. I should get with the times here. (laughs) (laughs) I say that because the last few episodes, they've, the last like 15 episodes, they've definitely not been unified. So (laughs) neither party really has for that matter. But um, well, it comes down to being against the New Deal. Right. And all the Republicans are like, or at least all the Republicans who are in leadership at this point are saying, whoa, 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 New Deal, FDR, hang on a sec. We need a smaller government. And there's way too much regulation going on with the economy. It looks like this war might end. So there, take that. <laughs> We're running against you. Because we have yeah. to, because it's a two-party system. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Roosevelt, we mentioned, um, not only is he up against these Republicans who want to shut down his legacy, but he's suffering from some declining health, as we mentioned before. And he doesn't want really anybody to know. I mean, that kind of defeats the purpose of running for presidents, like president again if you're not doing well with your health. So to kind of combat that image that he has, he goes on a huge campaign trail, like bigger than before. And he rides in an open car through the streets. He gets on trains and rides around. He um, talk, gives speeches all over the place. He's on the radio. Um, he just really kind of says, you think I'm sick? I'll show you I'm not sick. <laughs> Yeah, and he's going all out against the Republicans. He's like, 
uh, hey, Republicans, you're claiming all of this corruption and us being wasteful with tax money. Um, no, we are doing our thing. We are rocking it all over. You think he said rocking it? Sure. Probably. He yeah, he probably said rocking it. Yeah. <laughs> He's going all over the place. And it seems to be working. Yeah, it definitely works. He um, He's just also kind of punching the Republicans in the mouth, giving them a one-two every here and there, because they're saying stuff that he's just like, nope, that's not true. And like, who do you who do you trust, I guess is the case, the Republicans <laughs> who want to defeat him or the guy who's been in office already for 12 years? Yeah, it's really funny how, like, Dewey, I mean, he's he's throwing out the communist card. He's like, hey, Roosevelt, you are not indispensable. You are corrupt. You're a big city Democrat. You're an operative of the big Democrat, the big bad Democrat urban organizations and the American communists. And I mean, he's really going after them. And Roosevelt's like, I'm winning the war. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of hard to uh, it's kind of hard to dispute that. Like, well, we're we're doing good. So, what do you got to say about that? Right. So, really, according to most of the polls, Roosevelt is leading Dewey, and by the time election day rolls around, FDR, he's scoring big time. He's pretty comfortably ahead of Dewey. So Roosevelt takes 36 states. He gets 432 electoral votes, while Dewey wins 12 states and 99 electoral votes. So in the popular vote, Roosevelt wins 53 and almost a half percent votes, as opposed to Dewey's 45.9%. So even though he doesn't quite destroy him in the popular vote... He does pretty much destroy him in the electoral vote. Again, we mention this all the time, how important the electoral college is and winning the right states and the right areas as compared to the popular vote. Uh, so he did win the popular vote. Don't get me wrong. FDR did, but not by as big of a margin as he had in the past. Only like 8% this time yeah. instead of you know 20 or 30. Yeah, I feel like as we're moving through the Roosevelt years, it is a cha big change in time, not only from the fact of you have the Great Depression at the beginning of his presidency, and then now we're into the wartime part of his presidency, but each election, I mean, that first one was the country was basically blue, and then the red creeps in, and there's more and more and more and more red. So... It's not like the Republicans were just sitting on their hands during the Roosevelt years, which I kind of thought that that would have been the case, but they were actually gaining some traction. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, The country likes Roosevelt, but not as much as they did back in 1940 or 44. Yeah, and it makes me wonder, well, was it just because most people were like, well, I mean, Franklin Roosevelt, he's the president. We're used to having him, and right. we just kind of take it for granted. Yeah, I would definitely say that that's a big factor. Why change what's working is always, uh, once again, I said this earlier in the episode, people don't like change, and that's not 
<laughs> that's not ever going to change, Jason. See what I did there? Mm. <laughs> hey, there was this one other um, little piece I wanted to mention that was really interesting to me. There was a party called the Texas Regulars, and basically they're a party that basically just um, they don't like Roosevelt and they want to see him gone. They don't want him to win anymore. So they're they're just voting for not Roosevelt. They're voting for pretty much anybody else. But they uh, they're actually Democrats, by the way. They want Roosevelt and the New Deal gone, and so they think if we can vote enough in the opposite way for anybody else that Roosevelt doesn't get our votes, then you know he'll be gone. But it doesn't work out in their favor, obviously. Yeah, it's really fascinating. You know, Ben, it's so fascinating about how these third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth <laughs> parties come onto the scene and they get lost in history a little bit. And they had great influence in a particular way. We've talked about that, how maybe a particular issue arose to the forefront because of that party. But you also had some who may not have. But I think that would be a very interesting topic or series of episodes once we go through history and we are no longer doing sequential episodes like this so right. yeah i mean we kind of dismiss the third i mean we the the american public kind of dismiss anybody but the upper two or upper three even you could say uh and three being independent or libertarian or you know one of the one of the biggest ones typically but most of the time it's just independent anyway the but the but we have to remember the socialist labor party not the socialist party right. the socialist labor party they lose they're in dead last they get their candidate, the least amount of votes of any major, not major, any spoken party. And they still get 45,000 votes. Jason, how many times in your life can you say you as an individual or an idea you have has influenced 45,000 people? I know. It's I mean, crazy. that's still significant. That's still a, uh, maybe organizations you've been a part of have done that, but you as an individual, um, Crazy. So they still have a big influence that we dismiss, but is important, obviously. Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, Ben, some interesting tidbits about this election, 1944. Uh, yeah. Do you know this was the last election? This is pretty crazy. It's the last election in which any candidate received over 90% of the vote in any state. So FDR won 94% of the votes casts, cast. I can't speak. FDR won 94% of votes cast in Mississippi. That is absolutely nuts. That's that's what you call unified. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it was also the last time any candidate had been allowed to run for a fourth term because in 1951, the 22nd Amendment was ratified and is now a part of our good old Constitution. I have a feeling we might have a whole episode about that someday. That sounds like a great idea. And by someday, I mean probably in a couple of weeks here. <laughs> hey, Ben, you know what's another great idea? What's that? For our awesome listeners to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, of course, which you've probably already done, right? And leave a review and a rating. 
Yeah, absolutely. We got a couple this week. Um, actually, three or four. One of them is from someone named Butler Bob. He says, I've been listening since the start of this podcast and really enjoy it. Well, thanks, Butler Bob. I don't know why it took you till episode 52 to leave a review, but we won't begrudge you for that. I promise that we no, really do appreciate it. That's all water under the bridge. That's right. Yeah. Uh, they both educate and entertain. I'm not only a big history buff, but also have a minor in political science. And I still pretty much learn something new every week. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Butler Bob, for leaving the review. That's uh, They come right to our email, and we love seeing them come through every time they do. And that's awesome. Really appreciate that, yeah. Okay, Ben, anything else about the 1944 election? I don't think so. If you want to mention anything to us about the election that you found interesting or tell us what your impression of the New Deal or FDR is... You can do that on one of our social media channels. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Election College. We'll see you next time. Bye.